To the chief musician, Psalm 71 through 5. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. To bring to remembrance, make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame, who say, Aha! Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you, and let those who love who love your salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord. Do not delay. That was good reading. Felt like I was on holy ground there. Well done, Cameron. Where uh, the, the psalm starts with, you know, let well, it doesn't start with it, but it's in there. Let God be magnified. It's pretty important that our lives magnify God in all that we say and do and places we hang and whatever. Now, it's not that you can't represent God in a fallen world because no matter where we go, it's really not, not all that holy out there. But how we go and when we're there, how we all that's important. So that's, that's kind of where we are in Psalm 70. But it starts off with this little announcement about to the chief musician, because David had his guy that could put the words to music, and he was the head of the worship team, I guess, for the temple or whatever. And they would get that all figured out, and this might be a shock, but then they wrote a new song. We were at Hope Church today, and they sang all old hymns. I loved it, so... Should we start that war? <laughs> I love old songs too, but man, like some of the ones that Psalm 45 we just sang was that, uh, what is the name of those guys? Shane and Shane. They do a lot of new stuff to old psalms. And if you Google it and listen to some of their music, it's just Bible verses, powerful stuff. So we try to keep a good mix of things. But David had this musician, and he gave him the words. He said, why don't you put this to music? Because we want people to remember certain things. So David wrote this psalm, and he wrote it because he, there, there's something we need to remember. Now, you all know the joke that when you get older, we got some older folks here, myself included, but um, <clears throat> the joke goes that when you get older, the first thing to go is your memory, right? You know, you've heard that, right? And what's the second thing? Nobody remembers. <laughs> you know, I don't remember. So <clears throat> well, I spoke at Hope Church this morning and kind of went over the same notes because of time constraints, but whatever, when they had a little fish fry after service so we went home to get the dish to pass you know because you're supposed to bring one of those to those kind of things so dale and i were ready this time so we got back out in the car and 
I forgot the key. So I went back in the house, got the key, came back out, got in the car, got it started. She's in the car. I'm about to put it in reverse. She says, where's the cucumbers? So I forgot the cucumbers. <laughs> I said, I was just talking about remembering things this morning, you know, and now we're going to do it again tonight. But anyway, we all forget things. It's true. But there's a call to remember. There really is a call to remember. How many of you have ever studied the word male in the Old Testament? You know, in the beginning and all that, and he created them male and female. And not just him and her, but male and female. And the word male, you know what it means? It has to do with being a remembering one, whether it's an animal or a human being. So most of the hunters understand that. You spook a buck in the season in this area, there's a good chance you aren't going to see them again for a long time because they have a way of remembering things. And some male critters will mark their trails so that they can remember what's theirs. I mean, there's, there's a lot about this remembering. And the man in the relationship in the family is the guy that's supposed to be doing the remembering. And I wrote two rules for marriage a long time ago. The first one is, if you think you're right, you've never been more wrong in your life. But the second one, I remember these. This is good. Uh, what was it? Let's see. <laughs> if you have to be reminded, it's too late to think of it on your own. So you have to be the remembering one as a man. So that's... But David wants the people of Israel to remember some things that are very important. Now, as we've been talking, too, we're going through these psalms. I'm trying to show you some patterns that exist in the Old Testament, and those same patterns exist in the New Testament. So we're not just learning what the psalm means, but we're seeing that it actually fits. And if you're into a theology in the New Testament that doesn't fit the patterns that are laid in the Old Testament, you might want to rethink your religion and get more in line with faith in Christ, because there's a big difference. But in, in uh, Psalm 137, which was written many years after King David, and it was written by someone who was in Babylon in captivity. And it says there that by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. Now the children of Israel, had they been remembering Zion and remembering God prior to the captivity, there's a good chance they would not have been in Babylon. So they at least got their memory jarred a little bit. It took 70 years of captivity to get them to the point where they're starting to say, we desire Jerusalem. And when you get to verse 6, he, they pick up on that same thought. If I do not remember you. And I think he's talking about Jerusalem, which is the holy city, which is where God manifests himself to Solomon when he built the temple. But if I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above all my joy. So, the Old Testament is constantly calling Old Testament believers to remember. Even when they were in captivity, when they were in the throes of life, when they made all the mistakes and now they're paying the consequences of all those mistakes and they're suffering in Babylon, they're still trying to remember. Does that fit the pattern for the New Testament era? Sure it does. Because every one of us in the throes of Babylon today, you know, we need to remember things. We need to remember the holy city. 
by the way, whose builder and maker is God. It's a different holy city that we're looking forward to. And he's coming back to uh, take us there. Ecclesiastes 11. Solomon, David's son, took over the kingdom. And he said, Lord, I need wisdom to rule these people. And the Lord gave him everything he ever wanted. And he used it for his own vain glory, really. I mean, Solomon tried and tested and tasted everything. And he writes about it in Ecclesiastes. He just, his, you'd almost say it's his lament of life that I did it all wrong. I did it all wrong. And when the sun comes up and you feel it on your face and you've had a great life and lived many years, yet let him remember the days of darkness, you'd better think about your past. How did I get here? How did all these blessings come upon me? Where did I get the wisdom that I had to rule this people in this nation? <clears throat> Solomon sort of forgot, didn't he? And he's saying right here, he says, Remember, remember it all, the good, the bad, the ugly. Remember it all and put it into a proper context. So much so that when you get to the end of the book, chapter 12, he says, now remember your creator in the days of your youth, which is something that he forgot. He did not. But now he's giving the advice, don't do as I did, but start young. As young as you can. Honor God with your life. Remember your creator. Isn't it interesting that creation is very important, and yet we send our kids off to a school that doesn't believe anything in it, about it, creation. It's a doctrine of demons, and it's designed to take children from us and destroy them and turn them over to the depths of the dark side. That's what it's about. Remember now in your youth that there is a creator, God Almighty. A lot of important things to remember. Now, some have said, well, maybe David was asking God to remember things. Can you imagine God forgetting something? I'm pretty sure he knows where I've been. He's probably got it written down in a big book up there. And someday he's going to open up the book. He's going to open up the other book. And the things that man have done, men have done, will be judged out of the things that are written in the book. And who's writing in the book? Well, the Ancient of Days is writing in the book. It's in Daniel's prophecy. It sounds to me like this old guy, this Ancient of Days guy, he's got it all written down. That'd be God Almighty. He has it all written down. Everything is written down. But the one book of all the deeds and things that we've done, recorded in this book, it's kind of set aside when the other book is opened and you find out if your name's written in the Lamb's book, the book of life. And then everything is like forgiven. That's in the first book. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Okay, God, did you, did you forget something? Are you, are you missing something here? I think when David wrote this psalm, he wanted people to remember their God, and I think he also wanted to remind God of the promises that he has made. So when David is praying, he's often asking God to do things like he's the one in charge or in control. 
And we read that in, you know, in our English language and we think, he's bossing God around? Like, wipe those people out who are saying, aha, aha, zap them. Or is he reciting a promise that God has made? You know, Lord, I am trusting you to keep your word. And so he's reciting that promise. Well, here's the promise. I think this is the main one that he's quoting. It's in Exodus 20. And we've talked about this passage a lot. And uh, I think you probably all have heard this before in this church. And the reason we're going over it again is because it's important. That's why. It has to do with the Ten Commandments. And if you understand the value of the law in its proper context, it's very useful, very helpful. We talked about this very same thing a few weeks ago. That when someone says, I believe there's only one God, that God begins to work in their life in a way that will bring them the mercy that they need to receive him. And mercy throughout the Old Testament was bringing all of mankind to Calvary's mountain. And the, the main theme in the Old Testament should be in our minds is the commandment of God that has said mercy is on the way. And again, it's the commandment where love is found. And many of us in times past didn't know where love is found. If you've been going to this church for a while, you should know where love is found in the Ten Commandments because we've talked about that before. We'll get to it. It's in verse 6. But here's what the commandments say. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now why did God tell them that? Because he wants them to remember it. That's why. You need to remember, I'm the one who brought you up out of Egypt. Not that golden calf. Well, they didn't know that. When it first was written the first time, they built the calf. And then Moses went back up and got, you remember that story? And he came back down and said, hey, look, I'm the one. I did it. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Wicked people, pay attention. God-haters. Visiting iniquity on the fathers, upon the children, to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. So, in essence, in the commandments, if a person refuses to acknowledge God, the first three or four commandments, you are becoming a God-hater. And if you're becoming a God-hater, you're also teaching your children, and your children's children, and your children's children. And God is keeping record of all that. This is not going to go well. And the commandments teach us that, and it's the same pattern in the New Testament, isn't it? When we begin to acknowledge God in our lives, things can change. We had a foreign exchange student at our house. Mandy was 10 years old when Cowdy came over to visit. She hung out with us, and she came back for another month and stayed with us. And then she came back four years later and wrote a letter about how she had found God. It was a really cool letter. We have it somewhere. But it doesn't say anything about the death, burial, and resurrection. All it says is that she found God. And she started honoring God. 
And she started thinking about God, just like the first few commandments. And she was no longer a God-hater, but what's the next verse say? But show mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. She had found God and started to display a love for God. And when she came back that four year later, we sat, went through a Bible study, and she made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, death, burial, resurrection. And in the last chapter of our study, she started crying. You know what she was crying about? What about the rest of my people in Japan? God had turned her into a missionary. And I ain't saying she's a missionary today, but she loves the Lord. She has her own little life. She's married now, and she's just a great girl. She calls called Dale on her birthday. Why I tell you that story? Because when people acknowledge God, that the fact that he created things, and they were thankful to him, they allowed themselves to get into a place where mercy is coming their way. And that's exactly what that verse says. When we love God... When we start to, even if we don't fully understand the death, burial, and resurrection and what happened there, God knows how to bring about the mercy that's needed to get someone to Calvary to find the grace that will save their soul. It's just, it's in the pattern. It's all there. Now, so keep in mind Exodus 20 and, you know, that verse. Now, here's another. We had a young woman read to us tonight. It's beautiful. Another young lady by the name of Mary in Luke chapter 1. Here's her story. See if any of this sounds like Psalm 70 or Exodus 20. My soul magnifies the Lord. It's in verse 4, isn't it? You think Mary knew anything about Psalm 70? And my spirit rejoiced in my God, my Savior. I'm a needy, poor person. He's my help and my deliverer. Psalm 70. Next verse 4. He has regarded the lowest state of his maidservant. Poor and needy again. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 49, or 50 rather. Here it is. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. What's that sound like? She knew the commandments? Yeah. Young Jewish girl. The angel says, you in? Lord, whatever you want. Tell the Lord whatever he wants. I'm his, I'm his girl. No, none go with me. I'm in. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their heart. He has put down the mighty from their throne, exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Exodus 20, Psalm 70. And Abraham and to his seed forever. Mercy in the Old Testament was established until Calvary. And here, Christ is coming. And grace is on the way. And it's, it's such a beautiful pattern, the whole thing. And, and everything she said in that little prayer is, is God bring the mercy and take care of the wicked people and show people from generation to generation. Instead of the third and fourth generation of God-haters, 
Show them your son who's coming, the Savior who's coming. I am poor and needy. He is my help and my deliverer. And Mary knew the text. I really think she did. Well, you could say, well, that was just Holy Spirit inspired. It's just she didn't know what she was saying. Well, I think she knew the text. I really do. Let's just take a look at Psalm 70, verse 1. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. You know, make haste. Help quickly. Come and help me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. It's like a double cry. Please, please, help, help. You know, if you were stuck somewhere and couldn't get out, I bet you'd scream more than once. And that, that's the whole point of it. It's the double cry. And then he, he mentions the God-haters. Why? Well, because God promised that he would take care of them who hate God, who are against his people. He let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. And of course, David was concerned about those seeking his life personally, but we also know that the greater son, the Lord Jesus, had his share of enemies too and could have prayed the same prayer at the, on the cross or in the garden the night before. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame. It seems like people have no shame these days. They'll say whatever they want. Aha, aha. Or run their mouths about God and things that they know nothing about. Have to give an answer for every idle word and every time they've used the Lord's name in a wasted way. There will be a day coming. And no one's getting away with anything. It's just not going to be that way. But David is really reciting the commandments, isn't he? He's crying out to God, the only God he has faith in, to help in the time of trouble because there are God-haters who are cursing you, generations of them all around me. And I want you to rescue me from the God-haters. And you get to verse 4, you have... The seekers, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. Which again is what Mary said. The seekers. And I think the seeking process starts if the Holy Spirit of God is in the world convicting men of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. I believe he is because Jesus said so in John's Gospel. But since he's doing that, then it shouldn't be a surprise to us that people like our friend acknowledged God and God began to work in her life. And I often wondered what would have happened if she'd have died before she got back to receive the Gospel. Well, you talk about the mercy of God. And God knows them that are his. And he knows how to bring on the mercy. And he knows how to send in the witness. And he knows how to create a missionary. And he knows how to use a little church in Freeport. And he understands these things. And when people are willing to talk about God, that's a good thing. And we can help them to filter through those first three commandments and start to say, and he wants to show you the mercy. Let me show you where the mercy was put on full display, Calvary. Help me remember Zion. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. And Jesus himself said it in uh, Luke 22. 
They had a picture of a communion cup here, I think, if I did it right. What did he say? Remember me. Paul, when he was explaining to us how to have a communion service, he said, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took the cup and he took the bread. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. Paul reminded us that this is how we do communion. We, we do communion the same way yet today, the same way they did. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was betrayed by a lot of wicked people who should have been the Jewish people who recognized their Messiah. But he was also betrayed by those close to him, Judas, Peter, the rest of them scattered. There's a lot of betrayers in the Christian faith. And God still loves us right where we are, all of us. And he's continually calling us to remember him. Just remember him. So when we're praying, like David was in this psalm, we're, in a sense, asking God to do things that are promises that he has made. So when he says that whosoever believes shall never perish but have everlasting life, is that a promise? And so, Lord, you said, if I trust you and have faith in you, that you would not let me perish, that you would give me eternal life. That's cool stuff. But we're reciting the promises. The scary part for us is uh, illiterate Christians, you might say, or Christians who don't really study the book well, that will take a verse, turn it into a promise, Hold God accountable to keep it. And then what happens? Faith crisis. Because God never made that promise. It's so important to study the word and know what the promises really are. And don't make stuff up. It has to fit the pattern. It has to fit this, this pattern of Psalm 70 of the commandments. And when we see that uh, David gets to the end of this psalm in verse 5, and here's his statement of faith. I am poor and needy. But he loves the Lord, doesn't he? You know, I'm one of those who am loving you, God, and trying my best to keep the commandments. I'm one who is walking by faith, trusting you. Protect me from the God-haters. He says, I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God, for you are my help and my deliverer. There's only one Savior, God Almighty. There's only one Savior. And the mercy that was promised in the Ten Commandments because of the love factor, that mercy, because of that love factor, got mankind, in a sense, delivered mankind all the way to the cross of Christ. And the greatest display of mercy was when Christ Jesus himself took my sin on himself on the cross at Calvary. Because that should have been mine. And that was mercy to me. That was mercy to us. And when Jesus walked away from the tomb, he basically said, and now grace is coming your way. And the New Testament is a story of grace. And the mercy got us there, and the grace is going to keep us there. Grace is on the way. And so David, very humbly, 
Make haste, make haste. I'm poor and needy. You're the deliverer. You're my help. You're the only one. Do not delay. Do you know what the very last words in the Bible are? We got Revelation up there. He who testifies to these things says, I am coming quickly. Amen. And then John tells us who said it. Even so, John says, Lord Jesus, come. Come. Come and get us. Make haste, make haste, make haste. Does it fit the pattern? It's all there. Jesus is coming back. Our Savior, our Helper, our Deliverer. He's on His way back. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for the night. We know that you are coming. You told us you were. You said, I'm going to prepare a place, and when I get her done, I'm coming back. And we're looking forward to that day. We're waiting to hear the shout, hear the trumpet. We want to see it all, Lord, anytime. And uh, we just pray that in the meantime, as we struggle with the reality of this life and this world and the things of Babylon that are around us all the time, just help us to remember Jerusalem to your holy city, the place where Christ was crucified and rose again. Lord, to help us to keep our focus, to know that you are the only Lord God, creator of heaven and earth. And help us all, no matter what age, to start over again tomorrow morning or even this afternoon yet, Lord, just to trust you. We want to trust you more. We know that we ought to do better, and we're going to keep trying. 
but we know that our salvation depends upon you. And our faith, our hope, and our trust, our love is for you. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. Amen. Amen. Amen.